And Almighty Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts so that we can hear what you are saying to us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Almighty God, we can become more and more the men and women you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Undoubtedly, you heard in the news recently about the abortionist doctor who is also a homosexual activist and how he recently met a young pregnant couple at a local Starbucks. Seems that the couple had been evicted from their apartment because of medical expenses and therefore they couldn't pay their rent and they found themselves in trouble. Unable to get help from the local churches in town and the fact that the couple's family disowned them because of their unmarried predicament, they had no solutions and only need. This doctor was willing to give the couple a room in his house until they found an apartment for which he paid the security deposit and the first month's rent. The local news heard, of course. And when interviewed, the activist replied, everyone needs a good Samaritan sometimes. It was just my turn. Now don't that just beat all. I mean... Listen, that is infuriating that someone like this person, who is obviously a bad person, would do something so sacrificial and so obviously good. I just can't stomach the idea that the world is seeing an abortionist homosexual give money like that and give sacrificially like that. If you, like me, are struggling with that, then you know exactly how the original hearers of Jesus' parable to the goods of the Good Samaritan felt. If you, like me, recognize that there's just something wrong, then you know what Jesus' hearers of the Good Samaritan thought. And felt. The priest and the Levite who walked by the broken man were the churches and the family, and the abortionist homosexual activist was the Samaritan, because that's exactly how the Jews would have thought about him. Exactly what you were thinking, better, exactly what you were feeling is what Jesus' original hearers would have felt in their heart. And if you felt like I said that such a bad person could not do such good, then you and I are suffering from the exact same malady as Jesus' original hearers suffered. Prejudice, blindness, arrogance. We are living as if we are the wise and understanding that Jesus warned about in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Let's look at this verse. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' flesh and blood exposition of this warning. 
like those who think of themselves as wise and understanding and yet live like the priest and Levite, you and I must not live like those who look down their noses and their wagging fingers at others. On the other hand, the good Samaritan in this story and in the abortionist homosexual activist in my story understood grace. The good Samaritan had met Jesus and realized that his spiritual situation was mirrored by the victim's physical condition and he wanted to do something about it because only those who realize they are blessed will be the blessing they are blessed to be. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's turn to our story and understand Jesus' point. Let's see how Jesus put flesh on his teaching about those who think they are wise and understanding. I'm going to start with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, before we get to the story, which everybody here is familiar with, and I hope I reminded you about in my story We want to see what questions are being asked and how both Jesus and this man answered the question and very importantly, perhaps most importantly, how Jesus responded to the lawyer's answer. When asked how one might inherit eternal life, Jesus turned the man to the Old Testament. Now, just if by chance you've been asleep on Sunday morning for the past four years while Pastor Benji has been reminding us over and over and over about the importance of the Old Testament, let me simply say that Jesus and Paul and John and all the other New Testament authors considered the Old Testament to be the living Word of God. I need an amen for that. Amen. All right. Eternal life, Jesus presumes, is found in the pages of Moses and the prophets. Now secondly, I'm going to assume the, the lawyer correctly understood the nature of eternal life. That eternal life is referring primarily to a quality of life that is found in living as a willing subject of the kingdom of God. And this life, this quality of eternal life, because the kingdom of God transcends death, this quality of life will also be a quantity of life that never ends. But the question remains, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get a piece of this bounty? How do I get the pearl of great price? Now, whether this lawyer was strictly trying to throw Jesus a curveball, which is what it seems to be, or whether he genuinely wanted to know 
Jesus makes sure that we get the right answer. And here, the lawyer correctly gives the right answer by quoting Jesus in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. The path to eternal life is to love God and to love our neighbor. Don't miss this. Eternal life is loving God and loving the ones who are near you. This life is, of course, lived by grace through faith as the Holy Spirit himself works this love in us and then he works this love through us. But that truth isn't the one emphasized here. The one emphasized here is that eternal life is loving God and loving our neighbor. Because if you and I are to have the quality of life that we're talking about here, if we are to live something that could be called eternal, then we are going to have to live a life that is not so centered on what is temporal. That's not so consumed by the things that we can touch. We're going to have to live the kind of life on a day-in, day-out basis that makes this world less important to our hearts than living according to the kingdom of God. This, by the way, is a fairly good definition of what the church has called the spiritual disciplines for its whole existence. And it will result in, it will be completed by, it will be understood as those who are living, as the ones who are being blessed by being, being the blessing we were blessed to be. And my friends, let me tell you something else. This is something I know everybody in this room knows. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But Santa Maria is drowning in our own wisdom and understanding. We are a city desperately trying to eke out a living by living on sawdust and ditch water. Ditch water. Ditch water. Easy for me to say. <laughs> What our town needs more than anything are some beggar citizens of the kingdom of God to show the beggars around us where to find the living bread, where to find the living water. You guys got to wake up. I need some amens here. <laughs> we do that best when we are living, when we live loving God with everything we are and loving the ones who are near us as much as we love ourselves. In a moment, we'll see how Jesus shows us what this looks like. But now, evidently, this expert in the Jewish law heard Jesus when he gave the, the teaching that we find in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he took Jesus' words and he threw them back at Jesus because he wanted, he thought he found a way to trip up Jesus to make himself look good. Now let's face it, ladies, you know this perfectly well. Men are competitive to the bottom of our being. And if it's not on the soccer pitch or the football field or the baseball diamond, it will be in the religious or philosophical forum. This man thought, about Jesus' words, and he wanted to show his buddies that he was better than this itinerant Galilean. Well, let's see how that worked out for him. 
starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now the story here is very straightforward. We don't have to really analyze it. A man was robbed and left for dead, and presently a priest not wanting to get his hands dirty, so to speak, carefully walked by. Likewise, a Levite did the same thing. Now, I've heard sermons and you've heard sermons about trying to compare what is a priest and a Levite, what does that compare to in the 21st century? Well, I don't think we even need to try because the, the answer is actually pretty clear. Jesus is trying to show what it looks like to be, to think that you are this wise and understanding person and yet you've completely overlooked what it is that God asks of us. Yesterday's religious leaders are simply examples of a problem most people of all ages have in common. We have too high of a view of ourselves. As I said above, the placement of this parable shows that Jesus is illustrated, illustrating the unenlightened nature of those who think they are enlightened. In fact, on another occasion, Jesus specifically identified this problem when he says in John 9, 39, he says, or Luke 9, no, I'm, I'm right, John 39. It says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Catch this, don't miss it. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. By being the kind of person who thinks too highly of themselves, by being the kind of person who thinks they've got all the answers. Really, they have no answers. Jesus is interested in those who are childlike, not childish, not self-centered, not focused merely on the now, but childlike. He wants people who realize they don't have all the answers. He wants people who realize they don't who don't have too high of a view of themselves. Jesus wants people who instead are dependent upon him instead of all the things they can make out of themselves. The religious leaders then and the Sunday Christians today who think of themselves as wise and understanding miss the boat. Rather than keeping themselves clean for religious stuff, God wants you dirty but loving. 
Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Far more important than any religious duty you can think of. Tithing, attending Sunday evening church services, even praying or Bible reading, your job is to be the one who exercises stealth, steadfast love, mercy, and life-giving sacrifice. All empowered by the Holy Spirit working in you and through you through the ordinary means like tithing, coming to Sunday evening service and whatnot. Therefore, the next time you miss church or a Bible study because you are saving someone's life, you have my permission to miss serving in the nursery. See Michelle Winger for full details. <laughs> this is the parable. This is the message that Jesus is giving us. Do for others. Love them as they you would have them love you. Be the blessing you were blessed to be. Now, Jesus, had he this anti-clerical notion at that moment, I'm sure his hearers thought he did. They were ready to slam those temple, you know, thieves and whatnot. He probably would have just said an ordinary Jew walked down the road and helped the man. However, Anti-church leader was not Jesus' point. Jesus' point was far more radical than picking on somebody who's easy to pick on. Jesus is, is nothing if he is not the supreme heart doctor. And in this parable, he intends to do very fine heart surgery. If it is hard to find a good example in today's world for the priest and Levite, choosing a good replacement for the Samaritan is easy. And today in Jesus' story, he would be the homosexual activist abortion doctor. Everything that we are supposed to be against, right? Could you imagine someone in today's culture being more anti-Christ? Could you think of someone who would be harder to save? I mean, let's, let's be real here. The only other kind of person would be someone who is using some sort of religious covering to actually murder and plunder Christians in churches, you know, like some ISIS leader or something. A person like that could never be saved. Oh, wait. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was. The chief of sinners is the one that God in his grace reached down and pulled up and saved his soul. If God can save my father's son, God can save anyone. There is no one who is beyond the reach of saving grace. There is no one in Santa Maria that is beyond or below your best efforts to save by sharing the love of God and the power of God to see them come to the love of God. 
There should be no one in your imagination that you could think that person doesn't deserve the grace of God. That's the point. None of us do. We are all in desperate need of the love of Jesus to reach down out of the muck and mire by the scruff of our neck and bring us to the throne of God as one who is purified by the blood of Jesus. Every homosexual you know is simply a man or a woman who needs to see that you love them and that therefore Jesus loves them too. Every abortionist is simply a man or a woman who needs to have their eyes turned towards Jesus by your love so that they can have the blindness of the God of this world taken away from them by the power of God through you. And therefore through me. That is when they will see that premeditated murder of innocent human beings is wrong. That is when they will see that flaunting the plan of God from all eternity is wrong. Because they obviously won't see it through all our fierce yelling and our obstinate name calling. That hasn't worked. And it doesn't appear that it will ever work. Instead, be the blessing you were blessed to be. Besides, my friends, we have seen abortionists and homosexual activists turn to Jesus. I believe that part of the reason that's true is because they've seen upfront and personal more of the destruction and death of their sin than even we have. And when they meet someone who's shining forth with the glory of God by our love and by our actions, then they will see the vomit that they are living in for what it is. And they, by the grace of God, will turn from it and give God the glory. Look, my friends, aside from the, our eternal calling, from our earthly perspective, God loves every single person exactly as they are. And he loves us too much to leave us there. He loves you and he loves your neighbor. Which begs the question. We need to pause here because we need to understand the second question. Who is my neighbor. This is the question the Jewish lawyer brought up. And whether it was a genuine question or not, this is the question that Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Well, this is going to shock everyone here. Your neighbor is the one who is nigh you. N-E-I-G-H, nigh, near, the one close proximity to you. Whoever it is that's close enough to enter your field of view, that person is your neighbor. Are the starving children in Syria your neighbor? Well, yes, in the sense that when you have an opportunity to reach out to them, they are your neighbor. But if someone is not in your sphere of influence, then perhaps they're not. So long as you can stand before your creator with a clear conscience, guilty of closing, guiltless of closing your eyes to the obvious, 
But there remains the fact that you cannot do everything for everyone. And seriously, all other things aside, if you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, Lord, show me in my life who it is who's my neighbor, he will show you. He will make it clear to you. And if there is a bleeding, suffering victim of injustice right in front of you, you know, like that annoying neighbor who always plays his music too loud, or the one who swears too much every single time you talk to them, if you ignore those suffering neighbors, you may have a hard time convincing your God that you didn't know. Don't want to be in that position. Your neighbor, according to Jesus, is the person whose need is standing right before you. So, just like the good homosexual abortionist, give your time to that person. Do you believe that you are one of those who really are of the wise and understanding? Well, good. James gives us very clear instructions. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You will, in fact, be truly wise and understanding if you spend your time blessing those who are near you. It is the life that pursues the justice in your city and the kindness getting on and off the freeway. Oops, that one's hard. It's the life that walks with a proper view of himself or herself before the God who is eternal. That is the one who is the blessing he or she was blessed to be. But heart surgery is not finished. Jesus continues, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the abortionist homosexual activist, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He wouldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He said instead, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you Go and do likewise. Jesus will not relent. Oh, that hurts. And oh, that is glorious because he won't relent with me. He keeps pursuing me. He keeps coming after me and I keep spitting in his face. The Lord is embracing me, the one who willfully throws mud and muck and mire on myself constantly. And yet the Lord reaches out and embraces me. I'm running as fast as I can away from him. And he comes up and he grabs me like a good papa. And he squeezes me and says, I love you. That is your Savior. That is the God that you can you can enjoy, you can rest, you can celebrate, you can love. Jesus will not relent. He will force the lawyer in every single 
heart to confess the point of this parable. And the point of the parable is not that the homosexual abortionist Samaritan is a good guy because he's not. Because no one is a good guy. The point of Jesus' parable is that you and I must show the steadfast love, the compassion, the mercy that is needful to those who are near you through your works by giving your time, your talent, and your treasures to whomever it is who is near you. You, therefore, go and do likewise. Santa Maria, California is in desperate need for the church to be the church. They must have us, the church, showing them what it looks like to be Jesus. Not perfectly. I'm not perfect. I know all of you well enough to know you're not perfect either. But who else are they going to see? Who else is going to show them the love of their Savior who relentlessly pursues us in spite of our shoving our hand in his face? Who is going there for by the power of the Holy Spirit to live by the grace and mercy and compassion of God to us? Let's try another parable. A man lived in a town consumed with his own importance. This man lived just like he thought everyone did, just to make himself more and more comfortable. Ouch, I hate preaching to myself. The world is a scary place after all. But this man had that one neighbor who acted like this world wasn't all there was in life. She actually seemed like a person who cared about others around her. Sometimes this care was related in a plate of cookies, sometimes in a pot of shared coffee. The man also ran into someone at the gym who really seemed like he was there to be healthy rather than his prowess in showing off how much weight he can live. This man wasn't trying to live forever. He just wanted to be healthy. Then there was that other guy who said crazy things that were outside the box that you couldn't hear on the evening news. But when you actually thought about it, boy, they sure did seem like they made sense. Not arguing for the sake of argument, but sincerely wanting to win the person not the point. Shocked. This man was invited to a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. Perhaps Grace Santa Maria. And he found all these individuals at church willing to take him exactly as he was. This group of Christians showed him what wise and understanding people really looked like. Because they realized that God only cleans his fish after they ca he catches them. And these people, this family brought this dirty, probably foul-mouthed person into their homes. And he, in turn, welcomed them into the, his home 
when they found themselves on the other side. That is what it looks like to be the blessing we were blessed to be. Let us pray. Gracious Almighty Heavenly Father, of course, once again, we come to the end of hearing your word and realizing this is something we cannot do of our own strength, but realizing that the Holy Spirit can and will live through us. Let us live lives that are pleasing to you by being the blessing that we were to be, by living to show the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, by being that face to those who are around us. Let us do so for our joy, for your glory and the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.